You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Looks like we are live. So hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the High Fantasy Tracks panel, Game of Tricksters, which is about the uh, trickster trope slash archetype and the characters that represent it in Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, My name is Tara. I'm going to be your moderator. Uh, You can find me across the web at A Geek Saga. I am the... uh, organizer of Ice and Fire Con, which is the first ever Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire convention in the US. And uh, I've been doing Game of Thrones panels at Dragon Con since 2012. So it's been a, it's been a rock in like eight or nine years or something like that. <laughs> uh, so my other panelists, I guess let's start, we'll start with, uh, I look, it looks to my left on my screen, which is Rebecca. I don't know how it looks for you guys, but we'll, we'll go Rebecca, Andrew, Chloe in that order. <laughs> Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Rebecca Fiant. Online, um, I'm a Chewbacca cosplay. That's just where I post my cosplay stuff. I'm actually hoping to work on a season seven Sansa and Arya later this year. Um, I'm just a big Game of Thrones fan and nerd in general. Um, by day, I'm a teacher. I teach eighth grade history. And by night, I'm reading sci-fi and fantasy. So I'm glad to be here. All right. Hey, guys, I'm Andrew. This is my first virtual Dragon Con, but this is my eighth total Dragon Con. I'm counting this one. Um, and this is the least panels I've had this year. So very interesting. But um, I am also on the small council, which is an organizing group for Ice and Fire Con. And you can find me at Stat Check Podcast, which is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And I'm glad to be here today talking about tricksters in Game of Thrones. Hi guys, my name is Chloe. Uh, Tara put me last because I have a Daenerys level of titles to talk about. (laughs) No, my name is Chloe. Uh, You might know me from a podcast called Girls Gone Canon, where we analyze his dark materials and a song of ice and fire currently. We're going through a song of ice and fire point of view character by point of view character. We just started Asha Greyjoy this week, so we're having fun with that. And I'm also a member of the small council for ice and fire con. You can check out some of the pieces of meta that I've written about A Song of Ice and Fire and His Dark Materials at liesandarborgold.com as well. All right. Well, now that we've got all of our lengthy introductions out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're going to get started. Um, So I'm assuming if people are watching this panel that you kind of know a little bit about the trickster trope uh, or archetype. Um, Honestly, some, some just to get the basics out of the way, just in case some famous tricksters in mythology, Loki, Dionysus, and Nancy, um, uh, I'd say mythology and folklore, really. Uh, tricksters are, um, they're known as ambiguous characters. They're deceivers, shapeshifters, uh, imitators of gods. They're very often, almost always anti-authority. Um, and they're meant to challenge our ideas of the usual constructs of society and make us question uh, and possibly reject those ideas. Um, and honestly, you know, it's, it, it, I don't know if it's always been like this, uh, but I, I feel like in the past decade or so, uh, maybe it's just the Marvel movies have brought it out in people or something, but yeah. I, I feel like there's just been a growing kind of first, of, first interest, but 
sometimes bordering on obsession with these characters. Um, but let's be honest, a lot of that is because they are some of the most interesting characters in, you know, literature and, and media. Um, so I know uh, Chloe had, had, I believe, brought up some, she found a, uh, some information on the six uh, traits of tricksters. You wanna let us know what those are, Chloe? Yeah, from the book Myth Mythical Trickster Figures from Heinz and Doty, they said that every trickster has at least a few of the following traits. Fundamentally ambiguous and anomalous, deceiver and trick player, shapeshifter or master of disguise, situation inverter, messenger and imitator of the gods, and sacred and lewd bricoler. Uh, basically, it's not all of them. Can you define that word, Chloe? Because uh, bricoler is a big word for me. <laughs> it's a little early for a Dragon Con Saturday. I'm sorry. <laughs> track on that, Andrew. It's uh, basically uh, adultery or like trickery or construction and creation of available things. So someone who creates something or a god, a lot of trickster gods, or life creating, like biological creation. So mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of that. <laughs> like when Zeus would swoop in and be like, yo, I'm an eagle. Now I'm a sexy dude. Yeah, except yeah. like like that and his bajillion children, except Robert yes. Ian in what we're talking about. Boom. <laughs> segues yeah and there's and there's a lot of those and i think like there's there's different types of tricksters right because you have sort of the what you would think is more in your face tricksters uh, and i hate to bring it to but like loki you know the trope i think he's more of in your face trickster versus in game of thrones you have people who are kind of low-key um you have the little finger you have Varys, you know which are a little bit more on the low low than some of the other trickster trickster archetypes well let's be clear when you speak of little finger and Varys not being obvious tricksters i'm assuming you're speaking of the book version book! book we are talking about the book people we'll always be talking about the book <laughs> and if you'd like to know more about the book there'll be a windsor winner panel tomorrow <laughs> check in that <laughs> Um, so, uh, I, I mean, and we, there's very, there's a lot of very obvious, like, and, and honestly, as much as you say, they're, they're more low key tricksters, uh, Varys and Littlefinger. I mean, they, they, I mean, they're secretive. Yes. I don't know if, I, I still think it's pretty obvious that they are what they are. Um, and well, then the, there's, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I say that because the quotes, right? So if you go to the book yeah, quotes, yeah. the book quotes, they say, you know, about Littlefinger, I believe the quote is, you know, he's so friendly, he gets along with everybody. So that's why people just end up falling into it. You know, even if they kind of get a whiff of, okay, this guy's got an agenda, he's just so easy to get along with that they go along with it. You know, Varys is the same way. He's always appearing to be helpful. He's always appearing to be, you know, subservient. That makes him you know, when he turns when he turns out to be running counter to their course, they're so surprised, like Ned or like um, Kevin Lannister, you know, that was a complete surprise because they just would never expect that type of person to do that thing. I did see um, when I was doing a little bit of uh, research for this panel, I did see someone refer to Varys as the ultimate catfish. <laughs> I Which love that. Really that is very twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. Like, um, you know, he's he's great at changing his appearance, not just like his clothing and his overall look, but even his voice. Um, so, and and I think it was, it might have even been in the same uh, thing that I was reading. It was a Reddit post or something. Maybe uh, they, the person mentioned that 
Varys killing Kevin Lannister at the end of book five shows that he's not, you know, above causing chaos to get what he wants, which is very much, you know, I, I, that, that, that's really one of the top things with, with tricksters. Like they, what they, what they want might not be what, like we as society would think of as like the good ending or whatever, but uh, I don't know, man, like Varys might have some points and, uh, and him and Littlefinger both definitely go about their business uh, and do whatever they have to do. And it's often very, uh, well, I mean, gosh, Littlefinger's just tricksy constantly. So, exactly. so I, mean, I guess that's a good question though. Maybe everybody on the panel can have a thought about it. Mm-hmm. Does, a, does a trickster have to have an agenda? Like clearly Littlefinger has an agenda, Varys has an agenda. Um, but then there's other types of tricksters. Like you might say Tyrion, when he's, you know, jesting with people, um, you know, he's debatably a trickster. I think he's doing it for the lulls. He's like doing it for himself. I don't think he's doing that with, with a necessarily a long-term agenda. He just wants his own self, self-entertainment, you know, which I think is in the line of almost Loki. I think it could go either way. You know, I think that's the fun of it though, is when someone doesn't have an agenda or you don't know their agenda, um, it kind of adds that spontaneity, but then you also like following along with the ones that do. And I like how in Game of Thrones, there is a varying variation with those two, like you said, with Tyrion and then versus Littlefinger or Varys. Yeah, Littlefinger, coming back to him, he's very much so like the Dolos, right? Like uh, Dolos in mythology and Greek mythology starts off by trying to recreate a statue and like kind of shove it off as real and be like, yeah, give me my money. It's a real statue. And the gods are like, this isn't real, but it's actually really a really good really good statue of Aletheia. You did okay. And then because of that, they decided, you know what, Dolos, we're going to promote you to keep getting one over on people so that we can kind of launder money, basically, uh, and like steal money from people for paying for illegitimate art. And because of that, that's kind of who Littlefinger's character is, right? Like the the show kind of makes him this super 40 chess playing guy. uh, But Littlefinger is more in the books, everybody's friend, right? Everyone's like, oh, Littlefinger is not a problem. Little mm-hmm. the guy down the lane, Joey down the street, grew up with us in River Run. He's a great guy. They don't see it coming, which is part of that trickery. Uh, and of course, they're not reading the books, right? Like the characters are not reading the books, not to break the fourth page wall. We are, we're reading the books. There's stuff that George obviously wants us to read. Uh, which is something really interesting for Littlefinger. We'll talk later on a little bit about his relationship with Sansa and how that's his Achilles, right? Like he, so blinded by that, that he's giving his secrets and trickery away, which he's never given away before. So I think that's a really interesting dimension to the character in the books. Uh, we get kind of a microcosm of it in the show, but that's something that, that's a total, that's a total kind of like tricky God move. He raises himself up the ranks and then he stabs you in the back. Um, not to, I don't want to change the subject entirely, but we did have a comment from somebody on YouTube uh, saying it, it from uh, um, Jatko Muir. I'm I, I'm fairly certain I'm pronouncing the last name right. Not sure about the first name. Apologies, but um, saying Varys is so interesting as a trickster because he also embodies the sort of liminal nature of many tricksters, moving between boundaries such as gender and country's borders. Um, and and I I do. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I think I'd forgotten maybe that he had, uh, he did dress up as a woman at one point. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh, I thought that was a fanfic. No, that's <laughs> that legit. I read. Like, honestly, I, I, I it's, it's a fanfic called The Book. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> 
Uh, it's been about three years, three and a half years since I reread these, but yeah, I, I, I legit, I legit read this comment thinking like, well, that was, that was actually in the books. As soon as I'm reading this, I, I remember it now, but I really thought it was a fanfic for a second there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, like, like, and, and, and one, well, and, and like you said with Littlefinger, like being non-threatening, Varys is, is non-threatening as well. He's a eunuch, you know, um, and, and even, you know, Tyrion, um, which, you know, this is where I think with Tyrion Martin does most of his work, both creating a trickster type character and also breaking down the trope. Um, you know, he's playing a role that uh, others assign to him more often than not. Um, you know, and, I, I, and really he doesn't have an agenda, I don't think at the beginning, like he really doesn't. He, he eventually does for sure. But from, you know, the start, it's, it's more about- um, Hedonism. He's, just, he's yeah, pure, I mean, pure hedonism. He, well, I mean, he's, he really is just playing the role that people have put to him at that point. I would also say that for Tyrion, George is, and something that George is doing with this trickster role, he does actually explore it a lot for disability. Um, as far as like Tyrion's disability and him coming out as this monster to his family, yes, he kind of is just rolling with chaos at first, but it's also sticking it to the system that has stuck it to him. Mm -hmm. He yeah. has been born a monster. He has no reason. Why would he want to be better? He's rich. He doesn't have a want. He can have as much wine, as many women as he wants to fill that hole, that vacuous hole right in his heart. And I think that uh, from like the adultery and stuff, it's like very, very much, we joke about the God of tits and wine with Tyrion's comments on, uh, you know, the God of tits and wine and hoping he dies similarly to that trope. And he doesn't, but does kind of have a motive at first, which is what, when we see him in A Dance with Dragons, <coughs> hanging out with uh, the maybe Blackfire regime, definitely Blackfire regime, uh, he wants to stoke that war because he's just mad at the world. I mean, that's the biggest thing about Tyrion. It's Boo who uh, he lets his disability get the better of him and his dad's a monster as we see how it messes with his whole family. And when you look at Greek mythology, the Lannisters are, as we know, like that's the house of Atreides. That is, they are uh, some incestual downfall, tragic people and all of it is <laughs> pure like mythological gold. And I think Tywin as a God, there's so many different tricksters who try to get one over on the God Tywin in this story. And we'll definitely explore that throughout today. And, and I think the, the key thing is there, and you mentioned with the disability, is the constantly underestimating these people, right? You're constantly, you know, underestimating what the half man can do or what the eunuch can do, you know, and you're not expecting those people. The people who are known threats, uh, Tywin Lannister, Jamie, they're always targets. They have a target painted on their back, but nobody's going in to, you know, go on them on on the eunuch or kick the the half man you know that he's he's you know because of that disability they view him as less that is to their detriment because they have no idea what they're actually capable of which is far more than they uh perceive well i mean and i feel like it, it th this i didn't want to miss pointing out also that house lannister was literally founded by a trickster uh land the clever so um and 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 honestly like i i think that yes of course that's like a that's you know, Song of Ice and Fire's own mythology, um, I'm sure things were in many ways, uh, it, it, his story is told bigger than it actually happened, but uh, I think it's it's interesting or important to point out that that House Lannister was founded by a trickster because I 
feel like in the end, it's going to end up with a trickster too. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a, there's a good point in the chat. They, they brought up that, you know, culturally, like in Chinese culture, Unix reviewed it as, uh, as scheming tricksters. And there were Unix that usurped the court and ruled. Um, there's a eunuch that took over the court and ruled as emperor. And I think once again, George draws from these historical influences. So I would not be surprised. I, I personally, and Chloe and Tara, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if he specifically drew drawn from that, but I mean, he surely looked at historical influences and that's been something that's been a perception um, in Middle Eastern courts, um, Chinese courts, other courts that have had eunuchs as part of their uh, court culture. Yeah, yeah. the few he puts in the story, I think he's definitely done his research on that and those influence mm -hmm. very present. Yeah, for sure. Um, so before we move on from the kind of obvious little finger Varys, uh, Tyrion, um, I, we also wanted, I also want to mention the faceless men um, who I, I think, Rebecca, I mean, are you, are you a big Arya fan, Rebecca? I'm more of a Sansa stan, but I enjoy Arya as well. <laughs> I, I, wow, I think, I think, uh, I think all three of us gals here are stands and stands. So, um, so the faceless, I, I, I just asked because, you know, I want to, I want to make sure you get to talk as well. I think you might have some notes for a little bit later though, particularly about Sansa, but before we move on to some less obvious, uh, tricksters, um, the faceless men are kind of another more obvious one because, you know, while everyone who knows who they are, like who actually knows who they are and what they do is rightfully afraid of them at the same time, like they operate in the background. So between their ability to change their appearances, I just think they're worth a mention. Um, but do you guys have any thoughts on them and whether or not, whether or not it's just an, like the, whether or not the change, the being able to change their appearance thing makes them tricksters or if they are too uh, serious to be tricksters maybe. I'd consider them a trickster. Um, I mean, it's obvious them changing their face, but I think also the hidden motives. We can see that they're up to something, but not everyone knows what they're doing or if they're even up to something at all. We get the hints and can put that together, which I love about the faceless men. And being being able to be no one and yet be anyone is is a it valuable is, yes. trait of being a trickster. That that's the that's the quintessential thing. Now they may not fall into the square you know peg of the of the trope, but I think they have elements of that. And certainly when you compare them to the trickster gods, to the to the you know and and you know in a way the faceless <laughs> men are immortal because they're a. A faceless man is a position. It's not necessarily a person, right? They are no one. So the, they're they're an eternal. They're essentially this this god in in an institution. So in that way, I, I do see the parallel. And you were saying earlier about um, some of the traits, messenger of the gods. They definitely feel like they're some sort of messenger of the gods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you put this into like actual mythological form, the, the myth, the Greek myth would be that like someone came to the water in the house of undying and the god said, here child, here's the power of, you know, the assassination and here's the power of shape-shifting. Like the gods are granting them shape-shifting power and there's even a line uh, about the dragon lords, the freehold and the first faceless men who changed that Arya learns and the name of no one, no ones in mythology are tricksters. Um, the, the slaves cried out to a god with 100 different faces, one god with 100 faces. And when you look at that, it is an imitating god. It's a god that imitates, it's a shapeshifter. So I think that's absolutely something very much so trickster. I mean, they are literally changing their shape. They can never be the same shape again. Coyote hmm. politics too that they follow, which is the other thing. Like and Tara, I, I think- Keep your enemy oh, guessing. Sorry. 
and and to to go into this because I think Chloe and 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 Tara this ties into a question we got in the yeah, chat. Yeah, I was, I was going to say. Which, yeah. No, it does. It really does. No, because yeah. it, it says you know in in the question was in a song of ice and fire is being a trickster uh, and deception overpowered when compared to honorable actions, combat, and other more straightforward engagements, or at least displayed as such. And that's by Prince Flor uh, Prince Foshian. For forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. I'll, I'll just give a quick comment that I think that uh, deception is accurately displayed um, in its power because it's subverting a norm. But what you're not seeing is the hundreds of normal engagements because in the course of a book, you're not seeing how many normal duels were fought, right? So when you see one duel that was that employs trickery like bronze duel where he used different tactics, it's effective because it's not normal. You may see that as in the book more because that makes a better story. But what you're not seeing is the cultural norms that are just day-to-day -day that are being subverted. So that's my thought on that. Um, do you, does anybody else have any, have any thoughts on that question? Um, whether, you know, being a trickster and, and the deception that comes along with that is overpowered when compared to, you know, the more honorable things like combat, et cetera. I think George definitely puts an emphasis on it because I think he values the mind. And I think you said in the past, he like uh, identifies with Tyrion a lot. Um, but I wouldn't say always. That's part of the fun is not having a clear answer that it'll always win or always lose. That's a great comment because I mean, that's the other thing is like, it is specific who is a trickster. There are people with trickster traits that doesn't necessarily make them tricksters. Um, and I think that something like Arya in this role is a trickster and she pulls tricks even at Harrenhal, right? On Weiss and on the goat, as uh, mm -hmm. we'll probably talk about today. And I do want to say that when Arya is portraying or being cat of the canals in Bravos, right? And she's going around selling people clams and cockles and oysters. She's tricking people out of their knowledge by selling them that food, right? Like she's trading the food, but she's using that to gain knowledge. But also if we're talking about like fables and Aesop's, does that mean that in Bravos, Arya is puss in boots? Oh, that's a good one. That's a Puss good one. Boots. Just, thank you. I that's saved that for one. you guys. I, I, I really, I was like, oh, I'm going to lay it on them. That's a good one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I do. Are you going to handle this comment here? Because I've been holding back here. Yeah, yeah. I do want to say real quick. Um, I so So just because Chloe mentioned... Uh, on her podcast, they also do his dark materials. Um, I had been, I actually started reading the books after watching season one of the show. And uh, Arya reminds me a lot of Lyra. So yes. Talking, uh, like, yeah. With the, like the, the renaming of herself, like giving, giving people the, the other names and everything. And it's like, yes. you don't really think of Arya as a trickster because her story is sad and serious in a lot of ways, but she is, she's constantly tricking people, you know, like not just playing little tricks when she's at Harrenhal, but you know the changing of her Back name and, and being able to to like just lie so easily and, and fool people about who she is i mean and and you know honestly one of the one of the good things that the show did um and really only because they they had to i guess but when they put when they shoved Arya and Ty tywin together at heron hall the stuff between her and tywin was great because like he actually saw through her in some ways, like I think, but she was still able to fool this like God of a man. So, um, so yeah, that, yeah, that was a good, the good change the show made and it, it showed her skill for sure. Something about Arya at Hall in general, those plots are very 
Greek myths, like uh, in the books, Vargo Hote is something I want to bring up. Vargo Hote gets kind of replaced in the show. They just let Heron Hall be a little different. But in the books, Vargo... No Zorse. Yes. <laughs> he rides in with his uh, very merry men of awfulness and misfits. And Vargo Hote is called the goat, right? So he's like half man, half goat, which makes him a satyr, a trickster. And he actually has a perfect trickster arc. So in the beginning, he switches sides right from the north to Tywin's crew and back and forth. And he ends up tricking Tywin, a god, by chopping off Jamie's hand in the books. So by the end of his plot, he's done awful things like puts Brienne in the bear pits that Jamie has to get her out of. And at the end of his story, he actually gets punished by getting his hands chopped off. Ty like that's what the mountain shows up. Tywin's man chops his hands off. So that pays for him chopping Jamie's hands off. And in the end, he's forced to eat himself until he's killed and, you know, the gross stuff stuff that comes with a song of ice and fire but it's a perfect arc right like that's a trickster arc he tricks people and he chops off jamie's hand he gets the eye for an eye from tywin the god loses his hand i just thought it was such an interesting interesting portrayal of tricksters in the story um yeah yeah i i, I when i saw I, I you had mentioned some vargo hote notes that you had to me and i was like oh gosh like you don't i didn't don't think about characters like that a lot of the time um all right so i, I do want to get to some of these questions uh wh which one specifically andrew because the first uh, one I, I'm, I'm i'm all about the the um the cersei okay cersei yeah. is a trickster with her yes. i ate his her his children situation yeah, yeah yeah so would you yes would you consider Cersei a trickster she does she this person um amy blackfire said she sure tricks bobby <laughs> b <laughs> hey -o. uh yeah i mean honestly like Cersei is not very good at things <laughs> and stuff but I, hold on hold on hold on hold on i think that she actually <laughs> was successful in tricking Bobby B. I yes. think, and, and, and we, we only see the end of their relationship, but clearly they had a, a, a relationship for a certain length of time in which she was able to convincingly play that role. I think we get to the end of the role where her, excuse me, but her Fs given are very low, you know, but she'd been playing that role for a long time. That, that's, this was not like 10 days and she was out. She's, she, this was years in the making. You know, three children. That's a lot of time to be playing that role. I think with Cersei too, she thinks she's a trickster, but she not she isn't necessarily to everyone else. Um, in her head, she is, and she has a couple of the traits. But um, you know, we're seeing her in her headspace, but that's a lot different than how everyone else is seeing her on the outside. Yeah, she definitely, and like you look at it again, mythologically, like she bears children for the king, but tricks him and they're not his. And it, in mythology, like she's very close to actual Cersei, uh, Cersei in Greek mythology, who like tricks men to her island and feeds them poisoned wine and they turn into animals. Like that's definitely a trick. She does trick him, but she's not a trickster because she does not successfully pull off the trick. And as we know, She's probably not gonna live to the end of the story. I'm just putting it out there. I know that's a spicy take. Everyone's probably in the comments getting blown. What? what are you kidding? She's not Why gonna be like. She's not gonna be like the second to last person to die. Queen like, Cersei, no. 
if she survives past the last chapter of the Windsor Winter, I'm just going to throw my hands up in the air. And you can hear more about that tomorrow at 1 p.m. on this channel. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the like button on this video. Smash that like button. Smash it. <laughs> Don't forget. But yeah, uh, Rebecca is totally right. Cersei thinks she's a trickster. And Cersei. Yes, exactly. Tragic downfall in store she, for her, unfortunately. She basic. Yeah, she basic. <laughs> um, so we also have a comment from, so from a crisp uh, and all I can think of now is potato chips. So, um, Very you British know where my mind's chips. at. Uh, yeah. you, you also see people try and outsmart and flatter the tricksters on the Titan's daughter by trying to make sure Arya remembers their names and by giving her gifts. Um, so that's just a comment, but if anybody had any thoughts on it before we go on to some of the less obvious ones. I think we can move on to the less obvious ones. I think that's a less good observation. Obvious. Um, so I'm, I, I, I think I'm going to go backwards in our, in the notes that I, that I have, um, from myself. And I think, I think really you guys did more of this input than I did. Um, but I'm going to go from the bottom up because I saw this last one and I just, I have to, uh, patch face. So obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. I literally have like patch face, like dolls that have, people have made. Like That's creepy. Yeah. Like, like little ones. They're cute. Um, so Patrick, Patrick is probably a trickster, right? Like he's a potential messenger. I would, I would say straight up, he is a messenger of the gods. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that might, you know, the, the difference between a trickster and an in, in, insanity, right? You know, it's just someone who is literally insane, you know, and that just coming off as, as trickery because you don't know what to expect. Certainly he's a person that people underestimate. Like he's always yeah. underestimated. But, you know, it, what he's what's coming from him has like intense value. So in that way, he, he fits partially into that trope. I feel like he's definitely a prophetic fool, obviously, like prophetic fool is his first, but yeah, yeah. trickery. I think also the other thing that since prophetic fool comes first, you have to look into like prophecy. And obviously we know prophecy is up to who gets it or listens to it, analyzes it, et cetera. So I guess. I mean, this is all subjective because it's all meta and we can, you know, it's, we're live. We have the microphones. So yeah, throw him in there. He can be a trickster today. Everyone's a trickster today, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I just, he, he is like, I don't, I'm honestly not sure which one of you put these notes in here about Patches. Rebecca, um, the, the, the idea of him being a deceiver, I'm not. I'm not sure he is. Um, because I, of I intent. Like... Because intent. Yeah, that, yes, that's what I can't yeah. get. You need you need intent, and that's what I don't know whether he has. Well, that's control. what we don't know whether yeah. whether or not he has. But I think that's why he's an interesting addition to the discussion because like there is more to him than meets the eye, and we don't we don't know whether there is intent there. Um, assuming there isn't you know like like nobody in the story thinks there is obviously they all just think he's the fool you know patch race the fool running around being weird and crazy um nobody listens to him nobody pays attention attention to his little rhymey thing right rhymey rhymies that are rhymey ways that are uh you know uh clearly prophetic obviously um Someone in the comments said, I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, but nobody pays attention to his, his, what he's saying, even though obviously we know as readers, because we 
you know, you read, I, I don't think the first time I, I read the books, like I, I read what he was saying and then later it happened and was like, oh yeah, remember that time two books ago when Patchface said this? But obviously on rereads, you read his, you know, prophecies and it's like, holy crap, why didn't I, how did I miss this? But, um, but yeah, like I, 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 I think that'll be interesting to find out later. I mean, would, Rebecca, do you think he is like a deceiver? Do you think he, he knows what he's doing? No, if he knows what he's doing, I definitely agree with you about being the messenger of the gods, maybe unwillingly. Um, but I also liked one of the characters who said situation inverter, because when he shows up, a lot of people get real weirded out. Um, so he kind of turns the situation around from everyone's just talking to what, what the heck is going on with that guy? <laughs> Shireen, you know, she's cool with it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, situation inverter and messenger of the gods, um, potentially a deceiver, but I don't think he knows he's doing it. I don't know if he's fully in control of himself. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a. I, I, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting if, you know, some some point during Winds of Winter or June of Spring, all of a sudden we find out that Patchface is actually this, like, just diabolical, like, you know, I don't think that's happening. I don't think so. I don't think that's happening. But I will say the, the better comment here is one that we did not have on our list and was a good call out in the comments by Prince F here, mm -hmm. um, who, who asks uh, whether Euron is the most successful trickster and talk about catfishing. I mean, he was there too. So, you know, I, I think that's a good question because I can see it going both ways. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that. There are a lot of theories about Euron as far as like he didn't in the books, he claims he sailed to Valyria, but like a lot of people are like, there's no way or that he sailed like past Valyria to a shy by the shadow. And they're like, wait a second. Some people have figured it out. I don't even know the finer details because it's not my side of Aeswath, you know? Like there are certain cherry pick things I'm great at. Some of that stuff, I let the smarter people <laughs> uh, But Euron definitely is a trickster like that. He maybe sold dragon eggs. Uh, he comes back with Valyrian armor at some point, maybe in the future. That's actually kind of a spoiler, I'm sorry, but we won't talk about it now. So moving past it, you'll all forget it if you don't know. If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. Uh, and Euron comes up a lot with Bloodraven right? Like uh, there's a great theory by poor Quentin from the Nauticast podcast who did a theory about how Euron is Bloodraven's failed Jedi disciple, right? So Bran is the right one. As we know, Bran is the good boyo and he's the right one. And Bloodraven's like, aha, I found him. Uh, and Euron failed. He fell. He says in his first kind of speech, we hear from, you know, like when I was a kid, I dreamed of flying and I fell. So that's how that theory goes. I think it's probably canon at this point as a uh, prosecutor of canon in the courts here. And Bloodraven is very Odin, right? Like even to the fact that he has ravens, that he lives in a tree of knowledge in the mm -hmm. tree, like total, total Odin, the eye thing, you know, the whole eyeball thing, um, total Odin. I think Bloodraven comes up as that and he annoys us with the ravens through the story too, right? Like the raven shows up and sits on John's shoulders like king, corn king. King, I think those are some really strong uh, mythological connections with those two. They're definitely tricksters in the story. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and Euron is, uh, the, the person was asking whether or not him being kind of an apocalyptic uh, crazy person would overwrite his trickster qualities. Uh, but he, he, I, he's still successful at what he does. You know what I mean? Like, well, and that's that's why I can see it either way, right? Because he does. Pe pe people are scared 
the hell of Euron. When he's coming back, they're fearful of Euron. That's not a typical trait of a trickster, you mm-hmm. know, that, that people are fearful of the trickster. Because then you're, you're on guard. You know that you need to be careful around this person. Um, I think that, but the, the other side is, is that, you know, if he's done some of this incognito stuff, you know, and he's gone around and... Um, you know, had other identities that would fall more in along, just like the faceless men fall along the side of trickery. He definitely has that imitator of the gods um, on that list. It seems like he's wanting to become a god himself. He makes fun of all the other gods, but also kind of wants their powers, drinking the shade of the evening. So I don't know if I'd classify him as a total <laughs> but the imitator of the gods, totally, totally. All right, um, so I wanna make sure, yeah, we got through all the questions that we've had so far. Um, so what, since I started from the bottom, moving up, uh, the, <laughs> the, next, uh, the next one was the Manderleys, um, particularly uh, right now, Wyman Manderley. Uh, he's got that sort of jolly, you know, funny, you know, thing going on, but he's plotting, I mean, he baked phrase into a pie, you know? So uh, I, I, I think I think he is, I, I think he's not one of the ones that comes to mind at first. And part of that might be because he's a minor character. We only meet him in the later books, but I mean, he is, he is sort of fulfilling um, at least right now, the trickster, you know, role by playing sides against each other and, and, you know, also causing a little mayhem in the process with, killing some phrase and stuff so um do you guys have any thoughts on that yeah i mean he he plays the friendly route like he's the gregarious like it, it, because he's this morbidly obese guy people underestimate him you know he's not you know physically robust he can't no one would would view him as physically threatening because he he can't move um you know his his what is this his seven chins you know or eight chins and six of them were cut by the knife you know i mean you know they they don't view him as a threat that way um, and he's sort of the kill him with kindness, you know, but meanwhile, he's building a fleet. Meanwhile, he's got the most heavy horse. Meanwhile, he's scheming. Now, some people are on to him, but uh, I would still say he has elements of a, of a trickster. Now, where that merges is, that merges over when we're talking about honor earlier and whether honor is effective, he is doing it with an honorable agenda. Does that negate the trickster elements? I, I don't know. Um, we do have a, we have a comment, uh, leading from Manderley's into phrase real quick, I guess, uh, thinking it's also from a crisp, again, with the potato chips, kill me, uh, thinking about Walder Frey, particularly about him using verbal trickery when he slips in a mayhaps when, uh, treating with Rob, like he's playing that Lord of the Crossing game. Um, would we call Walder Frey a trickster? He sure does pull a big trick. He thinks he is. He thinks it's really funny. He he does. He's more of a troll. Yeah. Yeah. The troll that lives under the fricking bridges. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I would add that's a really good, an interesting connection because the Red Wedding. Some Tom, a uh, Tom from the fantasy track here just said the ultimate trick, and it is. It's such a trick, like such a trick that at first you're so engrossed in the, the surroundings you don't see it coming. But afterwards, 
Rob is spoken of as the trickster, right? Like uh, they say that it was vile sorcery, everything Rob's done in his campaign. If you take it back a book to clash when Sansa is being beat in front of the court, Lancel is proclaiming that Rob was a trickster in the field. Uh, so Walder Frey isn't like a huge trickster publicly. Everyone's like, he's too old, blah, 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 like we said. But he actually pulled this big trick while letting everybody else think that Rob using sorcery and warging, just like Sansa has spoken about later, that it's him that's the bad guy. So it's really interesting to see where the PR kind of lays in the story too, right? Like we know they're tricksters, but no one else does at all. Well, and I guess like this, this kind of begs the question though, where do you draw, especially in this series, where do you draw the line between whether a character is in fact a trickster or whether they're just a plotter or, and schemer? Um, somebody asked, you know, you know, by this is House Tyrell or Elena a trickster. Um, I, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a little bit of that to Elena specifically because she, she's, she plays this like, I'm, I'm just a little old lady, uh, you know, particularly in the books, you know, she, the way she's described is a lot less um, daunting than the way she was portrayed in the show, though, of course, we love, we love, we love Lady Elena in the show, let's be honest. Um, you know, like, I, so I, I, I think that with this series, there's, you have to, it's, it's a very, it's a very, there's a lot of gray area um, between whether a character is in fact a trickster, whether they actually fit the, the characteristics, the trope, the archetype versus whether they are just a plotter. And I think like Walter Frey, like, man, I don't know, dude's a jerk. Like, like, does he pull off this giant trick? Sure he does. But like, I mean, I, I don't think it's a trickster thing with him. I, I, I just, um, there's more yeah, to I mean, an archetype than, than, than deception alone, you know, yes. Just saying that you've pulled off a deceptive thing. Anybody is capable of that, but doing that as part of a matter of course, almost like, you know, you're doing it as a day-to-day -day thing. It's part of a, a, a longer strategy or, per, or in this case, as an archetype, your personality, you know, right. You know, I think Walder Frey engaged in that deception because he was salty because his, his normal, you know, plan uh, of going along with it, you know, of extortion, you know, being a bully, that didn't work at first. So he he employed deception because he knew the straightforward approach wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. And and I again like I I, I think that it, like Andrew said, there's there's more to it than just being able to deceive uh somebody. Like just because they trick somebody doesn't make them a trickster. We I, I think Wyman Manderley can fit this because there's several aspects to his character and to the way, you know, the things he's doing and everything that play to the archetype as a whole versus Walter Frey, who, I mean, he, he wears, like everybody knows what he is. Okay. Everybody knows what he is and he's not ashamed or, or, or afraid or anything to sit there and be like, yeah, whatever. I'm Walter Frey. Like, uh, so, so I, 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 I just think that there's, um, we could definitely easily shove them into the category, but there's enough of the actual tricksters in the story to not have to do that. Um, now someone's asking best or most impactful backfiring tricks, such as Ox Cross for Rob and Edmund or uh, <laughs> Victorian's tricksy plan to steal Danny and the dragons. Um, and this will lead into some things Chloe wanted to get into about Danny, I think. But I mean, Quentin um, too. Quentin. I was going to say is, Quentin, is, yeah. Quentin, yeah. I mean, that's literally back on fire. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, I mean, 
these are the, talking about like tricks that backfired isn't necessarily talking about tricksters uh, as a whole, but um, I mean, we haven't seen Victorian even try to steal Danny and the dragon. And, and, so and let's be, let's be, there, let's but. be concrete. Cause I think we waffle a lot on this. Victorian is a hundred percent, not a trickster. Oh, archetype. Yeah. <laughs> he ha does not have a trickster archetype in his bones whatsoever. I mean, you know, he's, he's probably getting tricked right now in, in many, many ways. Yeah. I mean, he's literally sailing East. He has gotten tricked already. He's been tricked by Euron. <laughs> and dusky woman too i mean we're going yeah there. yeah just get him off the table that's the whole point get victorian off the table so that Euron can do his job um but that does lead us into being able to talk about danny which chloe wanted to do <laughs> so go ahead uh. well i just think there's something so interesting that danny's actually a really big trickster you would not think danny's a trickster right like andrew's shaking his head at me he generally <laughs> had at me though so that's not that different from usual just keep up <laughs> Danny is a trickster because trickster by reputation and by what she does. Uh, she's seen as the fragile, you know, skinny girl with the pale silver Valyrian looks and that somehow has dragons. And she's almost like Prometheus, right? Stealing fire from the beginning, having these dragons that is unnatural, not natural for there to be dragons now after they've all died out. And I almost think that Danny is kind of, I know I used it for Blood Raven, but akin to Odin in the story in a lot of ways. Um, Odin was this walking contradiction. How can this skinny lithe girl, this little 13, 14, 15 year old be having, depending on what you're like viewing, 18, I don't know what she is in the show, no one knows, but how can she have this huge nuclear power of these dragons? Uh, she's a war god, right? Like everyone hears of her bringing war. She somehow takes all these slave cities and like sacks the masters and like flips all the economies, everything on their ground. Uh, Odin's people, his leaders, his elite war leaders, were not great dudes, right? Like, you wouldn't want to have a drink with them. Like, probably not the greatest guys, but they were elite and powerful and dangerous, and they were the top of the top of prestige. And these people, like, sought him out, but Odin was also cursed for being a trickster. We look at A Storm of Swords. Danny pulls the ultimate trick with her dragons, right? When she offers the slaver her dragon, and the dragon roasts him, and she now has an army. And you look at how Dario sacks the city for her, Right? Like she uses her wiles for him to pull the trick while they're all drunk and going to bed to go sack a slave city and give her this city. Uh, and even as far as Mimir's head that Odin keeps, Viserys's gilded head, that's it's pretty spot on. It's pretty spot on. <laughs> I mean, I I would say that I think it's a, I think it's a round hole, but I mean you're trying to you're trying to fit it in there really well, Chloe, and you almost convinced me. But uh, certainly, certainly she does, certainly she does uh, subvert cultural norms. And I think that is, that is a huge part of her character arc is how much she subverts uh, norms and expectations. So I'll give you that part. Um, well, while we're on uh, some, some female characters that you maybe wouldn't expect as tricksters, uh, we might as well, we're, we're getting kind of close to the end. We got about 10 minutes left. So let's move into what might be our final point, uh, especially with us, especially with the four of us, or at least the three of us on this side of the screen. Um, Sansa. 
learning trickster moves from Littlefinger. Um, Rebecca, you want to, I know we're all three of us gals are Sansa stands, but Rebecca hasn't said, hasn't said much in a bit. So go on with your Sansa. <laughs> yeah, I love Sansa and I, I love during the show, but um, I'm super excited to see what happens in the book because I feel like it's a lot more nuanced. It's more of a slow build. Um, we're getting some of that disguise already in the eerie with her hair color, but also she's changing her age. Um, George even goes so far as to change the chapter titles to show how immersed she is in these other identities, um, which I love. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. Um, I think some of the other points, she's learning how to invert situations. Um, she's starting to get those skills, starting to be a bit more ambiguous. Um, not really a messenger of the gods, but um, even with like, if you want to bring in warging abilities, shape-shifting abilities, we see some of that with Sansa too. Um, all the Starks, but her especially fitting with the other stuff she's learning from Littlefinger. I love, I love her as a potential future trickster. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I... I don't, I don't know that Sansa really has it in her to totally fulfill the trope, um, but I, I, de I definitely think that she's going to play the game as one for a little while. Um, I don't know. Does anybody else have like additional thoughts? She, on that? She's learning. She's learning from the best. I mean, you know, what can I say? I mean, so she's going to have to employ that to a certain extent. Now, the question is, mm -hmm. how much does that change her? That, that which is a question in I think a lot of fiction is how much does going through that and doing that change you internally? Right? Do you can you become that archetype by having to employ those tactics, or do you retain um, an archetype or character that is distinct from those archetypes? That's an interesting question. Yeah, and when we go back to like a Storm of Swords, for example, there's a passage where Littlefinger basically tells her what's more dangerous, the dagger brandished by an enemy or the one pressed to your back you never even see. And he explains that he has three hidden daggers in talking about different men from the Vale that are paid and on his side and how he's basically positioned them on the chessboards that they're playing against each other, or pardon me, the Sivas board. Uh, and he tells her at depth, like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this. But while he does that, what he's doing is explaining, this is how you can understand how my mind works, Sansa. And oh, this is how you will actually end up defeating me because he's handing her the information, right? It's his failure as a trickster. And another spoiler, I think he might die in the books too, because it turns out the bad villains that aren't that great at what they do die. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> Under your belt, Andrew. Uh, but he... <laughs> he's going to give away the game in the end, right? Like, that's the problem. And that's why when you look at someone, like I said earlier, Vargo Hote, he has the full trickster arc because tricksters don't usually survive the story, right? Uh, for the most part, tricksters usually in the end get caught by the gods they're trying to play with. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, and, and somebody in the comments, uh, a crisp again said, I think that because humor is, uh, this, this is, a comment I'm reading, I'm not saying this as a, myself. I think humor, since humor is associated with trickery and women in Song of Ice and Fire usually have a more internal humor, uh, often steeped in irony, they aren't usually associated with trickery, which is absolutely true. I mean, like I said earlier about Arya, like her story is a very sad and serious story. Um, whether or not you want to believe it, it is, deal with it. Uh, like, girl is literally just a child of war but um you know she she still very much despite being it being sad and serious fits 
I, I honestly think she fits the trickster, you know, archetype more than a lot of other characters do. And, and I think that, you know, with Sansa, it's definitely, she's not maybe, she's not there yet, but I think she's definitely going to, like I said, she's going to play, she's going to play that game for at least a little while, you know, before she settles into be queen of the North for the rest of her long, long life, hopefully. I think she's definitely going to use some stuff against Harry the heir. I'm going to be interested to see what happens with him. He, I just feel like he's not, I don't know if he's not longed for this world, but you know, good things are going to happen to Harry. So I, I think those are the Cersei tactics. That's the Cersei brand of trickery right there. Mm. I'd oh, also so say like Sansa fits a hero's journey pretty exact. If you like mm. up the major plot points of Sansa's story, it is a hero's arc. The Stark kids fit that. Bran obviously fits the hero's journey. John has some big moments of the hero's journey. Uh, even Arya has some. They have the Jedi training montage. You know, that's a big part of it. And so Sansa using some of the trickery that she comes up with, it, it's part of that mentor kind of arc, right? Like that is where the mentor comes in and then it turns out the mentor is bad and the mentor becomes an obstacle for the hero that they have to get over. So I think that's kind of where a lot of those like shape-shifting, decepting, imitating a god, uh, passing judgment on life, as we know is a big thing for the North, uh, he swings the sword. That kind of stuff all fits in with some of those trickster things. And that's another mention of where that trickster trope comes in in the story. But again, I guess it doesn't always dictate it. Uh, all right, so we're we're getting close to needing to wrap up. Uh, I think we have like a few minutes left. So does anybody have any um, yeah, five minutes actually. So does anybody have any like last thoughts that we maybe missed or that, that you kind of came up with while we were talking that you haven't, uh, haven't Well, you missed one comment and I will do this oh, as I a did. bump to tomorrow. Yes, you did, which is, is George R. R. Martin the ultimate trickster? Oh, yeah. Which I, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, if we want to interpret it as uh, when the book will be done, I think that's very much true. But you'll learn more about that on tomorrow's panel. Um, I, I mean, like, honestly, uh, I think that it's easy now that we have the five books that we do have to, like, when you're reading them one after another after another to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew this, I knew this, I knew this. But yeah, listen, Martin, he absolutely, like, he, he turned stuff on its head a lot when he was writing these. I mean, if you actually had to wait between books, like wait for the publication, like we've been waiting for Winds of Winter. Um, but if you were waiting for those, what was it, five five years, I think, six years, something like that, between um, uh, Feast and Dance, like, uh, and, and there's still so many things like that hadn't been explained. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, really, let's be real, Martin is, uh, is the ultimate trickster in a lot of ways. And maybe that's why he writes them so well. <laughs> I mean, he, he really enjoys subverting norms. Exactly. You know, he exactly. does that so consistently with almost all of his characters. Uh, there, there's very few you can find that aren't in some way subverting a, a trope. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, any anything else, guys? Like, I don't I don't want to I don't want to miss anything. No. No, I, I love getting to explore this stuff, right? Like it's very much like mythology and Aesop's fables and some of the different fun stuff. And George obviously utilizes it. Like we started with Land the Clever that Tara mentioned and even look at Floris the Fox, the head of House Florent, which was uh, Reynard the Fox basically is what we're looking at there, right? With the trickery 
And I don't know, I think that's a, it's just a cool thing to play with, whether it dictates the story or whether it's just uh, something he can roll the dice and say, this guy can be a trickster in the story. We'll let him live for a couple books. Okay, but we, we have a speed round here. Uh, quick uh, last question. I think we can slip it in, which is uh, what do we think about Brown Ben Plum and then maybe Duran uh, Martel, Dor Doran Martel, Martel. I think Doran probably falls more into the, the plotter and schemer role um, because he, he's not, yes, he's, he's gouty and he's, he's kind of stuck in his chair and everything like that, but he's not, I don't think he's really trying to trick, you know, he's not tricking anybody with anything. He's still Prince of Dorne. He's still like a very, very powerful man. So I, I think he's definitely more of a plotter or schemer versus a trickster. And Brown um, Ben Plum, I think is, is really a merc. I mean, it, you know, there's a few people that embody the mercenary mindset, you know, and the mercenary archetype. And I think he, he is, he is one of them. Now he has principles, you know, he's like a principled mm -hmm. rogue, you know, but yeah. um, I wouldn't call him a, a trickster necessarily. Yeah, Doran's definitely a uh, depressed schemer, right? Like too depressed to actually get stuff done because you know, like trauma and all that. Like everything, <laughs> but I don't know that that that's an interesting thought. I didn't think of that one either, as far as Brown Ben Plum. But in a way, I like what you said, Andrew. That it is the mercenary, right? Goes where the money is good, which is I get that. I understand that. So pull some tricks to get the money. Pull Absolutely. Uh, Rebecca, do you have any thoughts about Brown Ben Plum or Doran? I'm kind of sad I didn't think of Doran before, but I do view him more as a plotter. He's more withholding his plans rather than actively pulling a trick over someone's head. Like he's yeah. in the open with who he is. He's just not telling everyone the full picture of what he wants to do. I, I mean, I, and, I think a lot he, of the sorry, Andrew. When he yeah. does, when yeah. he does tell them, he tells Ariane the whole thing. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think he's holding anything back from her. And I think that those two kids think they're a lot better schemers than they really are, both Ariane and Quentin. You know, they think, they, they think their schemes are hot fire, but they are uh, quickly doused. I don't know. I think, I actually don't think Quentin thinks that he is that good at it. Like, I'm pretty sure his, all, his whole mindset the entire time is like, wow, I am terrible at this. I am terrible at this. Why did dad send me to do this? So, well, on the way he there, just wants I, to go home. Yeah. 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 I thought he thought that he, he really did think showing up that he was going to, that things were going to work out. You yeah. know, he had that false conception. But um, oh. anyway, it is uh, it is one fifty nine, so we we probably have less than a minute left. Um, but thank you everybody who joined uh, watching it live. Thank you for the great comments and questions. Thank you for listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out my website, ageeksaga.com, or consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash ageeksaga.